1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America a member FDIC. Welcome to the New Books Network.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Academic Life channel here on New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Dana Malone. Today, we'll be talking to Eric Franz, a career services professional who currently works as the talent acquisition manager for PrimePay. We'll be talking about his journey in, out, and around higher education. Eric, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're thrilled to have you and, and to have this conversation today, so thanks for joining us. Um, Eric, I, I, I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, Um. so I was born in Ghana in West Africa um, and moved here right around the time I became a teenager. So moved to um, a small town in Pennsylvania called Hellertown, Pennsylvania, um, and that's where I continued my middle school and then high school education. Um, being born in, in Ghana, um, most of the sports that I played um, circle around soccer, um, or, or they called football back there. Um, so when I moved to the United States, uh, basketball kind of came into the picture around my my ninth grade year. Um, so that's what kind of propelled my um, higher education experience because I got looked at and to play basketball at a bunch of different colleges and I ultimately chose Westchester University to um, attend college. So originally went there as a biology major, but quickly learned that. Um, That was not for me. Um, So ended up graduating um, with a degree in psychology. So while I was in my undergrad, I was on the men's basketball team there. I was an orientation leader. I was an RA, uh, member of the Student Athlete Advisory Council. Um, So did a couple of uh, stuff around campus, um, and that got me pretty involved and gave me a taste of Um, higher education and the different components of of higher ed. So ultimately decided to pursue my master's in higher ed counseling at Westchester University. So did that, graduated, um, got my first role um, in a university in upstate New York called SUNY Oswego, um, where I was the career specialist for fine performing arts, media and entertainment students. Um, Did that for about a year and a half and then got the opportunity to come back to my alma mater. Um, where I was the assistant director of the Career Development Center there. So while I was there, decided that I um, wanted to kind of keep going with my education um, and got into the um, higher ed doctorate program at Westchester as well, um, where I'm currently um, kind of finishing or in my last year of, of the program. Um, And then while I was at Westchester, I was there um, as a professional staff for about two years and then just recently transitioned to um, the talent acquisition manager position that I'm in now for the HR software company, Prime Bay.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. And um we'll definitely be unpacking some of that uh throughout um throughout our time together. But um before we get into um that, what what inspired you to pursue uh, career services as a profession?
1: Yeah, so while I was in my master's program, um I got exposed to a whole lot of functional areas in higher education and I wasn't sure exactly what direction I wanted to go, probably up until right before that last semester in the master's program. And one of the last classes that I took was a career education class. Um, And I really liked the fact that it was kind of one foot in higher education and and one foot out, um, because I felt that the development of the student kind of had to take into account their success and their growth after they leave college as well. Um, So that's something that really interested in me that I got to be in, I got to affect both areas. Um, So career services kind of came up as, as that functional area and enjoyed that part. Hmm.
0: Great. Thank you. I, um, I enjoy your, your, uh, kind of framing of, of what appealed to you. Um, I haven't heard anyone kind of describe it that way, but it's very accurate. Um, that is really, uh, what, what you do over there. So that's great. Thank you. Um, so if you would tell us about your first, uh, full-time position after completing your master's degree and, and how that experience, how did that experience shape you or inform your career path?
1: Yeah. So my first full-time position was um, at SUNY Oswego in upstate New York. And honestly, when I got the call that I got that interview, um, I did not know where go was, so I actually had to do a very quick Google search to to figure out okay, where did I apply to this role? Because I have no idea where where it is. Um, ended up being right on Lake Ontario, so it's about forty five minutes north of Syracuse. Um, and at the time, there was nothing holding me back to not venture out there, so it was a great adventure to kind of move up there, um, and it ended up being a great role. So. Um, at SUNY Oswego, their career services kind of runs on an industry centric model. And they actually won um, a, a couple of awards for that model where there is a career expert for a select number of industry. So there was a business career expert, there was an education and public service career expert. Um, and then there was me who was the fine performing arts media and entertainment um, expert, quote unquote. So um, I just focused on um, the majors like broad, broadcasting, theater, writing, um, all those fine performing arts industries, um, and really dove into getting to, to know the employers in that industry, getting to put on the, the events, getting to understand the careers in that industry so I could better serve those students. And the students kind of had this person to go to um who could either provide them with direction and some answers or know where to go to um get them those those answers. So it was pretty much like running your own little career center, um, which exposed me to all facets of career. Cause there's some models where there's just the career coaches and there's the employer engagement folks and then maybe there's the event planning folks. Um, but this model kind of had that person doing it all. And it was a great introduction to career services as a
0: whole. Mm. So you sort of function, you did all the roles, but for a very specialized uh, population yes. and group of students. Yes. So, oh, great. Um, So after your time at SUNY, you came back to um, your alma mater, Westchester, as the assistant director of career development. Um, Talk to us about that and where you went from there.
1: Yeah, so that was more of the role that I told you um, other career centers have, um, to where there is um, the employer engagement team, and then there's the career counseling team. Um, But because of my my background and kind of the the needs of the role. I was actually in a very similar position to my position at SUNY Oswego, where I was on the employer engagement team as well as the the career counseling team. So I got to do both and and it was awesome. So I'd have meetings. I was the only person who was having meetings with the career counseling team as as well as the employer engagement team um, and then helping put on the events like the career fair, etc., Um, So I got into that role in January of 2020. So a couple months later, um, and the the pandemic happened, um, and that actually morphed my role a little bit into incorporating um, a few things that I'm passionate about, which is media and marketing. So I was able to kind of dive into more of creating content um, for our social media to better reach students, because we were in a remote capacity and we couldn't put on workshops, and um, Zoom, fa- Zoom fatigue was already setting in—probably um, <laughs> sooner than than we all thought. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we, two years later, <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs>
0: Here we are. Now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, um, I had a great manager there who was very innovative and allowed us to be very creative. So um, I was able to create like a career show um, that became a a lot of my role um, was to create a career show based on a variety of different career topics. Videos were about two, no more than three minutes long um, to hit on certain career topics that students could digest in a short amount of time. So whether it was resume writing, um, whether it was cover letter writing, whether it was answering certain questions in an interview, how to show up for a virtual interview, um, a whole bunch of topics, um, and had a lot of fun doing it. Um, I was able to show my personality on there. Um, again, it was just a fun time kind of creating that that content to where, um, and my manager just asked me one one day and said, um is this something you want to be a a part of your role and i said absolutely yes so she kind of recreated a, a job description based on the strengths that i had and i just ran with it mm. well,
0: that sounds like a very wonderful opportunity for you and for for them but but to be to have your individual um talents um and and passions kind of embraced in in your role like that. I'm I'm curious is that something you know there's so many things um this is a little off topic but there's so many things um that have been um that people have had to professionals have had to innovate you know through the pandemic that maybe wouldn't have been there before is that something like like your videos like video content like that. Um and not to say people hadn't done that before but it seemed like that was new for Westchester. Um is that something they're continuing?
1: Yes, yes, they they actually are. So um, when I first started it, there wasn't really a need for it, um, but but the pandemic kind of changed that. So it it started out as a little like career segment called Fridays with with Franz. Um, so did did that. It was every every Friday we would release some career topic um, and then push push that out, marketed it out, all that, um, and it got pretty. Successful to to the point where, we actually had a um, an, an employer sponsor that that show, um, which which ended up bringing some revenue into the um, office, and so that was pretty cool. Um, and then after I I left, and my um, dear friend now and and colleague at the time um, was able to kind of take that and create her own segment as well. And so they're, they're con- continuing to, to do all that, which makes me very, very happy because again, it's, it's, it's an access thing as well, right? So if, if you put on a workshop in a certain classroom at 4, 4 p.m., um, if students can't make that and me being a, a former collegiate athlete, um, that's something that I just would not have been able to, to make, but if you have content um, to where you can direct students to, students can watch that at 4 p.m., they can watch it at 8 p.m., they can watch it two, two weeks from, from now. So it allowed us to deliver that career education in, in a way that more students had more access to. Um, so I'm glad they're, they're continuing to do that.
0: Yes. And that, I mean, I, I know from like my own experience, that has to be very rewarding when you spend time and effort innovating and, and creating something. And then if, you know, um, for when you leave, if it ends, that can be very, it can be disheartening, but knowing that it's continuing and morphing and people are picking up the mantle and making it their own. And, um, that's, that's really, that's really amazing. Um, it sounds like an, an awesome, um, development, um, out of a, a difficult situation for sure. Um, so what were some of the factors? And so from there, you, um, is, is from that, that role is when you moved into prime pay. Is that correct? Where you, where you uh, moved out of higher ed specifically and into more industry an industry role. So what were some of the factors, um, that influenced your decision to seek employment sort of outside higher ed?
1: Yeah. Um, so the first thing was, and I think this isn't very unique. Un- it's not very unique to my situation, I should say. When um, the pandemic really caused a lot of folks to kind of reevaluate what is important to them, um, and I think I was in that process right around the time we were told to come back in in person fully. Um, so during during the pandemic, our office we were able to really work and be productive in a virtual capacity and actually reach more students as a result being in a, in a virtual capacity. So when we were told to kind of go back in person and it was kind of like a hard, like on on this date, we're, we're like starting new. Um, and that kind of brought a couple of things to light in, in terms of, um, even though we were in person, a lot of our jobs still functioned in a virtual capacity. So it didn't, it started to not make a lot of sense after a little while, right? Um, to where I was coming onto campus um, and still producing those virtual shows in my office as as opposed to a, a corner in, in my house. Um, I was still having Zoom meetings. So there were people across campus um where we, we wouldn't meet in person. We would still be on Zoom. Um there were a couple of students that were still coming into the office, but most of the appointments that that I was having were in office. Um the events were still virtual. So um it was at, at the time where we didn't really know how many people we could have in a space and our, our spacing issues weren't as um, kind of tied down yet. So we just couldn't have that; those in-person events. So our events were also virtual. So we were in our different offices, kind of orchestrating this these virtual events that were happening. Um, and it really made me look at that model, and it didn't make a lot of sense to me because I just thought, well, I could do this at home. Um, I don't have to be in this physical space to to have that happen. And I got so used to being in this remote work world that it actually opened up a lot of areas in my life that um, I didn't think were that important until they became important um, and since something as little as being able to to do laundry um, and then something as as major as being able to to spend time with 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 my mom um, and be at my mom's house and and still get work done so when I'm done I don't have to travel there I am already there and there's more quality time spent. So there were all these little things that started coming up um, that really made me think of, okay, what other roles can I do? Which other area can I get into that still uses, uses these skills um, that I have learned and that I enjoy doing Um, And that I've built up for and for so long. um, And I wouldn't have to learn something completely new starting from from scratch. Um, And that's kind of what pushed me to that. And the other side of it, too, was um, with the work that I was doing and the different things that were going on, I felt that because of the structures that existed in higher education, there wasn't the opportunity for more of a reward right so whether or not i went above and beyond and created this show and brought revenue into the the office and did all these great things and the person who kind of did their job and kind of did the the bare minimum we were rewarded the same and this had nothing to to do with my manager this had nothing to do with with the team um because it was out of control because of the the union structure that was in place so it didn't matter the kind of work that was done. Um, it just mattered. Okay, if everybody gets gets a raise, um, everybody gets it. Like one one person can't get a raise over another. Um, so I really started to think of the financial impact on myself as well. Um, and in higher education, it's kind of a taboo to to think that, right? Because you're 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 supposed to think of the impact that you're making and the students that you're serving and the great selfless work that you're doing, but I got to a point where I was like, okay, like I know I can make an impact, and I know I am making an, an impact, but when is that impact going to be made on me? Because um, again, the pandemic had me really think of some priorities and and where I wanted to to be and the things that I wanted to do. Um, and finances is a huge part of life, whether we we want to admit that or not. So um, a combination of those is what really kind of got me looking elsewhere. Hmm.
0: Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, so what has surprised you the most about your transition to working outside higher ed? Hmm.
1: That's a great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think what's surprising is that. In- even if it's
0: on the individual, even if it's like personal for you, I mean, you can take that question. That's a broad question. You can take it anywhere you want. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think something that was surprising was that in like higher education professionals have a very diverse set of skills that other industries, I believe, value more than higher education folks do. Um, and I say this because in, in higher ed, there's always this disclaimer in a job description after they list all the different things that you're (laughs) you're you're supposed to do that that says other duties as a side right (laughs) um and i i think i mean that may have been smart on on their part and to put in there because you're pulled in so many different directions and you get to do so many different things um that it becomes part of your job so the more you you grow in there it doesn't necessarily mean that you're position or your, um, pay grows because it's already part of your job. That's, that's what you are supposed to be doing. Um, whereas outside of it, or specifically in the field that I'm in, um, you have a set set of jobs, um, or a set 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 of responsibilities, um, and then anything else that you do, um, and you keep track of it and you get rewarded for it at the end, end of the year. So it's a different system that it took a little bit of me getting used to that the work that you, you do and you going above and beyond and doing all these projects um, actually results in an impact being made, made on you. So that was definitely surprising. Um, and I think the, the other thing, huh, I guess the, the other thing too is is that even though I knew that my skills would transfer into this role, um, there was still a lot to learn because you're learning a, a whole new organization and a whole new process. Um, so it was more of a learning curve than I anticipated to where I was very comfortable in in higher ed, um, specifically comfortable in my role because I was not only not only did I feel w- well-versed in what I was doing, I was also at a place that I was very familiar with. So even my own bar- my own my bo- onboarding process, sorry, um, <laughs> my onboarding process was like very, very smooth because I kind of knew where things were and, and who to reach out to and everything. So I came from a very comfortable place to a place where I was forced to grow. Um, And that's something I hadn't experienced in a while. So it kind of woke me up a little bit.
0: Hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll just say, I, I mean, I feel like I could do a whole episode and maybe one day I will on the <laughs> line, other duties as assigned. Um, yeah. <laughs> I have a friend and colleague in the field and that is, um, You know, we he has done, and and I've jumped on here and there, um, to professional you know um, sessions at conferences that that explore some of those themes of of what that means. And I think I think you hit on something that's that I think rings true for a lot of folks, especially on um, you know in the student affairs side of the house, where yes, that and 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 beyond, actually, honestly, in administration as well, and and all the different places and staff, where you know that other duties as assigned, where we we do. Um, and are expected to do so much and be so versatile um, in higher ed. And that's just part of part of the job. Um, And so, you know, I appreciate you highlighting that. I think that um, at least I can think of many people in my circle for whom that will resonate a lot. Um, So, um, so thank you. So, you know, one of the things that was interesting, and and Eric and I'll just I'll be candid here. Um, Eric was a referral from a friend um, from Zeb uh, Davenport, who um, has hosted some on the channel and and been a guest on the channel as well. Um, as a contact. And when I was wanting to explore, you know, themes around the whole idea of the great resignation. Um, So then when Eric and I spoke, I realized, oh, this is not clear cut. You have not left the field. Uh, Because somewhere in the middle of our conversation, he let me know that he was pursuing, you know, his doctorate. And I was like, oh, well, that is a very um, interesting turn here for me, where I was thinking he was in the field, and then he just left the field. So so while you're working outside the field right now, you still have one foot in the academy because you are pursuing in, um, your EdD, and um, and that to me is a really interesting twist um, because you haven't given up on the academy altogether, um, and and you've taken on a very significant like that is you know a very significant commitment of your time and energy and personal resources to do a doctorate. So talk to us about your decision to leave the field even as you continue in a doc program.
1: Yeah. Um- I I love Higher Ed and and I still love the Higher Ed and I believe in the mission of of higher education and I believe in the impact that higher education can have on um their their students and their staff and their faculty um but I just was in a situation at the time where I felt that if I wanted To have that impact that I wanted made on myself, the structures that were in place um, in an industry as a whole. So it wasn't specifically where I was I was working. It's just what happens in the industry as as a whole. Um, If I wanted something to change, it wasn't something that I could change from within. So I had to kind of go out and find what it is that I wanted. Um, But it didn't mean that I. Like despised higher education, or I despised my my time there because I really believed in the work that I was doing. I believed in the work that my office was was doing, and I believed in the work that my colleagues were were doing. Um, and something that made me pursue my doctorate in the first place was that I felt that most of the time, a lot of people wait to get their their doctorate, which is totally fine. It's, it's for a lot of different reasons, um, to where, and you have to have some years of experience. And so, and you can apply what you're learning and to the experience that you've had or what, whatever, and the reason may, may be. Um, but I actually consulted with Zeb before I went, went for it. And I really wanted to go for that degree because I felt that there were certain decisions that were being made by folks that I was in meetings with where it just felt like they were so removed from the student experience um, that the decisions that were being made didn't feel like they had the actual student experience in mind. They just had a bunch of theories and a bunch of um, kind of higher ed jargon in in there that didn't make sense to, to me at the time. I mean I I get them now cuz I've had some some experience in the uh, program, but um I just felt like the decisions that were being made were by folks who were so far removed from the student experience um that I wanted to make an impact and not have to wait till I was 40 50 to to be able to do it where it would feel like I'm two or three generations re- removed from from the students. Um, so I really wanted to go um, for it. Um, and in going for it, my whole idea is I know higher education is is going to have to change. Change is very slow in that industry because that's just how it's, it's always been. Um, but I have hope because I, I think there's a new generation of professionals that are coming into the field that um, may not stand for it. And I think there's going to come a time where um, higher education is really going to have no choice but to adapt and to pivot um, and when that moment does come um, i will be happy to to one day um be part of that that change that is initiated so that's part of the the reason why i still have one one foot in the door uh, but i also enjoy what i'm learning and and i enjoy and um, the work that i'm doing um, so I, I don't know, like, like, I've always been I've, I just feel like I've always been in school, whether it's working in, in, in higher ed or just um, taking classes and everything. So that's all I have known what what to do. And this is this is going to be my last go around at it. But I, I enjoy learning um, and I really enjoy making my, myself better, educating myself so I can be in certain arenas and make an impact in those arenas that I'm in um, and getting that. Degree with those letters before and after my in my name, I knew would give me a little more credibility to make some of those changes that that I know the industry desperately needs. Mm-hmm.
0: Thank you. Um. So, and this this may I don't I don't think this is redundant, but um. Yeah. So, because we talked when we were talking, you kind of I I feel like you had some real clear ideas of of how you would. Um, use that doctorate in the field in higher ed as as in the future. So, how do you envision that at this point? And again, I, I whenever I answer these kinds of questions, I always like the caveat that this could change. You know, if you listen to mm-hmm. this like two years <laughs> later, you know, I reserve the right that my thoughts may change right. <laughs> <laughs> and likely will. So, um, I'm giving that caveat to you as well. And that mm-hmm. out. But at this point, um, where you are at the end of your coursework and starting, you know, to to dissertate, um, how do you envision using your doctorate in the future in the field? Maybe like your I scenario or, or, you know, how you, how you've kind of mapped that out in your mind and, um, a bit.
1: Yeah. So, um, how I've mapped it out in my mind and like, like you said, this may very well change. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, uh, again, yeah, this may very well change, but, um, how I haven't mapped out in my head right, right now is I think there isn't much of an emphasis on, the like student affairs practitioners right um i i think students are a priority at any higher education institution for what whatever reason um and faculty are because students spend a a lot of their their times in the classroom and they're there to get get their degree and that's kind of the connotational reason as to why people go to to college Um, but i think there isn't much of an emphasis on the student affairs practitioners who do a lot of the the work that ensure that, um, and the students stay at those institutions. So I think with the degree that I'm going after and the experience that I'm gaining right right now in the talent acquisition world, um, I think there's going to come a time where higher education um, is going to have to really put the development and the retention of student affairs practitioners at a forefront and kind of how to go about doing that. Um, And that fosters an environment where student affairs practitioners feel supported and and feel like they want to stay um, and keep doing the things that they are doing. That's so important to the education and the and the retention and the livelihood of, of the students. So um, that's an area where I I have a very good feeling that it's it's going to happen. Um, I had a, a former colleague um, tell me that at their particular institution, they had never had to go out and, and find talent before, because there were folks who would just apply for the role, um, Interview have have that long interview process um, and then get get the position and then come on board and for the first time they actually had to go to fairs to career fairs and like actually had to um, go out to try and draw talent and their other higher education institutions now who have actually started to hire um, some talent acquisition folks and some recruiters to go help find some of that, that talent and to bring in. So just posting on those job boards are not enough and it's already starting. Um, and I think it's it's going to grow to, to where now, just like how we, we really think of students and how to bring students in and retain students and to ensure that they, they graduate, Um, I think there's going to be more of an emphasis on how do we bring in the student affairs professionals and actually have them stay. Um, And that's an area I I think I can definitely impact in the future sometime. Mm.
0: Yes. And I um, I would agree from um, just you know, from what we're reading, what we're seeing in the field and, um, conversations at conferences and with colleagues that we, yes, we are, we are there. (laughs) We are, um, the tipping point maybe isn't fully there, but we are, we are there. Um, as, um, a lot of folks are, you know, um, yeah, the, the, the pandemic has just, um, these are not pandemic induced, uh, issues. These were all, uh, present before. And I think the pandemic has just, uh, Amplified and and tipped tipped the scales for a lot of folks um, on some of these these issues um, and these themes that we're seeing um, that are coming out of the conversation of the Great Resignation. Um, so, well, why don't we're, we're here at this? I was going to um, ask you about. You mentioned the um, when we spoke previously, you mentioned a post on LinkedIn that spurred a lot of conversation in your network about switching careers. So, since we're kind of talking a little bit about that, um, would you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, so I. I started using LinkedIn probably when I was at Oswego, because it was something that the office really paid attention to and promoted with with students. Um, so I started to post content on there, and then when I got to to Westchester, um, I continued doing that. Um, and then when I started in in this role um, as a talent acquisition person, you're you're also um, a brand ambassador to your company, so um, posting on on LinkedIn kind of helps that. So I post about different um, experiences that I'm having, different um, things that I have accomplished, um, different things that come up in in the role, um, and when I first transitioned into this this role, I put out a couple of posts about the the transition from higher ed into this remote role and the, the things that I have learned um, and how it was all going. And I had a, a significant amount of responses, not just on those posts, but also um, messages that I received. Um, and I have had numerous conversations with, uh, folks in higher ed, and quite a decent number who have transitioned out since our our conversation um, that I didn't anticipate. So I I knew I had those thoughts when I was in my my role, and um, kind of wanted something different that better fit my my changed values. Um, but I didn't know there were other folks who thought very similarly, like in all areas of the country. Like I had conversations with folks who were out in Colorado, Florida, Alabama, New York, um, who were reaching out to me to, to just kind of have a conversation to learn more about my experience, but also help them feel validated. Because um, again, there's there's a sense in, in higher ed where like thinking about yourself feels like a taboo like like no one ever said you and you can't do that but the selflessness and the impact is what's preached to so many people that that's all you ever think about and so you think well if i want to go to a place where i want to make more more money and and feel like all this effort that i'm putting in that's making me feel burnt out if i put a little bit less of an effort in there i could be paid more and and feel more comfortable and be able to, to pay my, my loans and be able to just have a better, like, better life um, or, or a better feeling to life um, feels like I shouldn't be be thinking that because students come first or the work that I'm doing comes comes first. And hearing from all these folks just because of the posts that I put out there um, made them feel a little validated in in, in their thoughts and gave them that push to understand that the skills that they have like yes it's other duties as as assigned and they and they've done so much but it's such valuable skills and it takes just articulating those skills um, and using jargon in the industries that they're they're trying to get into um, to help the interviewers kind of frame that okay if if you're doing this specific role in higher education, serving students, you can do those Those same skills can be used to serve your future clients or, or can be used to work with other departments in the company and um, all these different things that it just takes that articulation to, to get out and that confidence in yourself to say like, yes, I may not have done this exact role that I'm interviewing for right now, but these are the different things that, that I have done throughout my, my years in um, higher ed um, and showcase them in a way that others see as, wow, you, you really did all that. Um, and a lot of folks are, are seeing that as they look at opportunities in other areas, um, people are seeing the immense amount of skills that they're, they're bringing to the table because of everything that they've, they've done. Um, and it's been pretty cool to, um, and to see that and to have some of these conversations that I've had, because people are feeling this and the same and they may not say it all the time, um, but they they definitely are.
0: Mm. Yeah, the transferable skills are are immense, I would say, and in, in, in what people do um, in higher ed and especially in student affairs work. Um and and the way they traverse different spaces uh, to be effective with students, and then also with colleagues and faculty and all of that. Um, and it sounds like your post essentially was um, giving voice to the quiet whispers in other people's heads and hearts. Because um, as you say, you know, those of us who are in higher ed, you know, and I've had I've had many conversations with some colleagues um, at this point, and I and I have a I have a little bit on you in terms of time and, and age. <laughs> um, and I would think and and you know, so some of my my colleagues that I came up with, you know, it's, it's this idea of like, you know, the, the altruistic, um, you know, values and the greater good and all the reasons that, you know, you get into the field and, um, you know, you, we knew going in, you're not going to get you know, compensated as much as you would in a private industry, but there are those values, there are those greater good goals and and um, purpose um, driving your work. Um, but I do feel, I mean, and everything you're saying resonates with with my network as well. That people are being pushed beyond. Um, we, it's it's really at a tipping point of what people can and handle, and, and asking those those questions um, about the role of work in their lives, the the that other quality of life, and so you know. it's It sounds like your post, essentially you gave voice to what a lot of people were thinking and then people just kind of came out of the woodwork in essence to kind of, um, to seek, to seek, uh, your perspective and to, to chime in on that conversation and you know, almost like, are we allowed to talk about, like, can I talk about this? Right. You know, and a lot of times, you know, in professional conferences are this way as well. It, it, that may not be something you're willing to say to the person in the next cubicle or office. Right. But at a conference, you know, when you're with colleagues from across the country, or, you know, you know, even in an online private scenario, you, you know, you might be willing, more willing to give voice to some things that you're not willing to on your own campus. Um, um, and so it's a safer space in a lot of ways. Um, so that's that's wonderful. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, so kind of in that vein, um, what advice or food for thought would you offer to listeners out there who are considering switching careers to something outside higher ed right now?
1: I think the first piece of advice that I would give is is that like your experiences are impressive and your ex- experiences are valuable. I think if those in higher ed right now can, Look at that and believe that. I think that would give that confidence to explore other other areas as well. Um, because I think a lot of times, like applying for and looking for positions that you've never done before, can be an intimidating thing, um, especially if you're really good in your current role now. Because it's like, okay, you're you've gotten really good at something, and it might have taken months, might might have taken years for you to feel like. Okay, th- I I know exactly what to do when this situation arises. I, I know exactly how to navigate this, um, and to leave that and go into something com- completely different where you're almost like like a newbie. Um, that's something that can be very intimidating. Um, so I would say believing in the skill sets that you've acquired over the years, over the months, how how however long, um, and understanding how valuable that that is, and that. You can make an impact in the right organization as well. So, and and you mentioned that alt- altruistic value that a lot of higher ed folks have, um, and knowing that you're you're going into an industry where you're you're not going to make like make, make a lot of money in it, um, but it's the impact that you're making that that truly matters. Um, there are organizations you can work for who have that that value, where you can both make an impact in using the work that that you are doing but also have that impact made made on yourself so it also takes finding that right organization to to go into Um, and something that i have learned that um, talent acquisition folks um, or at least really good talent acquisition folks look for is people who are not just running away from something but running towards something so as they they navigate Looking at these different roles, it's important to not just try and hop off the train and and land in what whatever town you you end up in, um, but actually making a, a conscious effort to to do your your research um, and really understand the organizations that that you're looking at um, and getting to to know folks in there. When I was looking at into roles um, and in the interview processes. I was reaching out to past folks from, from the company, current folks in the company, people who've been there for a long time, people who, who just started, um, to be sure that I was getting into something that I really wanted to to get into. Because if it wasn't the right fit for me, I wasn't just gonna jump ship, just just to jump ship. Um, so that's a piece of advice that that I would give. But I'll also say I, I understand how fortunate I was. I had a, a manager that was very, very supportive and, and very selfless. So I was able to talk to her um, about some of these these thoughts that I was having. So even though I was working and, re- and reporting to her at, at the time, she was able to kind of separate those and be that supportive person for me throughout that process that that I was having. And that's something that not a lot of people have. So I can also acknowledge that privilege that I have because I know it it can be harder for folks, depending on the situation that, that they're in. Mm
0: -hmm. Yes. Yeah. It sounds like you're very fortunate in, in that supervisor. Um, So we're getting close to time. And um, so as we kind of wrap, um, I wonder, you know, often we don't get a chance to share the stories that really matter to us or that have shaped our lives and put us on the paths we're on. Can you share one piece of advice you received that really impacted you?
1: Hmm. One piece of advice that I received that really impacted me. Um I think the first thing that really comes to mind um and something that really feels a, a lot of what I get into in in my life is don't be afraid to be bad at something. Um I think that's what scares A lot of people to try new new things and to go at new things um and that's something that i have had to overcome in in my own head and why i'm able to kind of make these jumps and make these transitions the and the way that that i am and it's with something like i just picked up jump jump roping um for like these past two months and when i first started i was absolutely terrible um couldn't even get a single jump nothing like that and just like work working at it i would i would even post it on my social media and to show the uh, presence and that can be a scary thing for for a lot of people because it's like okay well it's it's not perfect and he's he's still putting it um out there and now i have significantly gotten better at it um and it's just because i i wasn't afraid to be bad at something new um and it's it's the same with when i moved out to we go and moving into an apartment by by myself for for the first time and um, in an area where I knew no one and being bad at making friends because I had to start over I was so comfortable in in the role in the environment that that I was in um, that I had to kind of start new and be bad at doing things for for a while until I I learned and and got better at it and that's what's Really given me the opportunity to do so many different things in my life, Um, so don't be afraid to be bad at something um, because you're eventually going to get great at it if if you stick to it.
0: Mm. Thank you, thank you. And if you don't mind, I'm going to use your story with my my six year old daughter. We've recently taken jump roping back up again the other day, Mm and she's she's still (laughs) working on it herself. So, um, so thank you, thank you for sharing that and. it's been um, it's just been wonderful talking with you, Eric. Thank you so much for being on the show today and discussing your journey in out and around higher education. It's been a pleasure.
1: yeah, you are very welcome, and it's been a lot of fun talking about this. Happy to do this anytime.
0: Thank you. I'm Dr. Dana Malone. This is the Academic Life, and you've been listening to New Books Network. Please join us again.